Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 49 of the Peristyle Podcast. If you don't know, the Peristyle Podcast is our little weekly internet radio show talking all things USC. We have a really exciting show for you this week on the podcast. We've got Harvey Hyde coming up a little bit later. We have Dan Weike talking all about USC football, what's been going on, Mark Sanchez and all that, the new coaches. And we also have uscfootball.com recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. We got him. We moved him up to the leadoff spot. Uh, just moving things around a little bit today. Harvey Hyde's in uh, in Las Vegas right now, so we're going to talk to him a little bit later. We want to welcome in Gerard Martinez, uscfootball.com recruiting analyst. He's going to talk about lots of stuff with, regarding USC recruiting. How are you doing today, Gerard? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling like the lead dog that I get to uh, kick this thing off this week. Yeah, every week we always have Harvey Hyde. We're going to mix it up a little bit this week, so hopefully the fans don't mind that. Hopefully you don't mind uh, hitting in that leadoff spot because we've always got some really good information with the recruiting and stuff. And uh, I guess the first thing we want to talk about, USC got their latest commitment, the defensive end Kevin Green. Can you talk a little bit about him, please? Commitment number 18 for USC, and uh, this one's a, a really intriguing prospect, the guy that uh, I've been uh, kind of pushing for a long time because just, you know, so much potential with Kevin Green. He's 6'3", he's about 235 pounds. This kid has only been playing football for two years. He was a basketball star uh, at uh, Cathedral Sacred Heart, uh, which is a, a school up there in San Francisco, and it's really not known as a football school. San Francisco, you know, as a city, is not necessarily known for football. I mean, most of the big-time schools are kind of out in the Oakland area, out in the suburbs, uh, like De La Salle. Um, so, you know, this is a guy that's really kind of made his name as a basketball star early in his, his high school career, and then came on a little later, came down to the skills camp at USC, uh, it was like two years ago, and he came down with uh, DeSante Yarnway and Kenny Cavanis, or two other players uh, from Sacred Heart, and did really well. And this was his first camp ever, and you just saw the potential with this kid. You saw this, this lean, tall, rangy, fast kid's got you know, big hands. He's just kind of one of those kids that just really looks like a player. You just watch him walk in the room, you go, man, this guy's an athlete. You don't know if he's a power forward, you don't know if he's a defensive end, but he's an athlete. And that's kind of what was going on at the skills camp. And uh, we've watched him progress his first year of football. He had 17 sacks as a junior, which is pretty impressive for his first year. And last year, he actually ended up having 28 sacks. Wow. Uh, he had 22 sacks <laughs> at the end of the regular season, and then he packed on some more sacks into the playoffs. And they got actually pretty deep in the playoffs this year uh, up there at, uh, at Sacred Heart. So. Just a phenomenal athlete specimen, definitely first guy off the bus type thing. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's really pretty fast. He's a 4.65 guy uh, electronically, and there's no real, you know, hesitation with him in that respect. More of the hesitation, I think, with schools, and maybe a reason he didn't get an offer from Cal is because, you know, they're wondering how much of a football player the kid really is. You know, this is a lot of potential. This is a guy that's got all those, uh, those tangibles, all those things that you can look at as measurables, but there's a question of, you know, does he have the instinct? Does he have the awareness? Uh, but, you know, it's just uh, for, for, for the get it is for USC, for what USC is looking for, uh, couldn't really ask for much more. This is a guy that could really develop and, and be somebody special. Yeah, and the USC obviously replacing a lot of guys along that defense. So anyone that can come in and has the potential to play right away, I'm sure they are looking at very hard right now. And uh, we're with Gerard Martinez, USCfootball.com recruiting analyst. Forgot to mention if uh, any of you guys have any questions or comments, and we will answer a couple user questions this week on the podcast. Uh, just drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. Uh, Gerard, big-time recruiting visits coming up, and uh, we just had some this past weekend. I guess maybe we talk about some of the guys that came in this past weekend and kind of what, what you thought about their visits. Well, Kevin Green being one of those guys, obviously with the commitment – uh, that came from uh, a great visit this weekend. Uh, he's a he's a three-star guy, and he'll end up being a defensive end. Uh, but USC also had uh, some other big-time guys that were already committed 
uh, coming in. And the one guy that uh, everybody was kind of talking about was Devon Flournoy. Uh, Devon Flournoy is a six foot, 180-pound, uh, really kind of a speed receiver, kind of one of those guys you, you want to get in the Z position, uh, stretch the field. Um, he came in, had a great visit. Uh, he's still looking at UCLA and Cal, but I had a feeling talking to him is that he's really pretty set with USC and something kind of drastic would have to happen for him to go away from that. But uh, he kind of wants to take his time a little bit. It might be an official signing day decision, but definitely had a great visit, uh, rated it a 9. His next best visit that he rated uh, was UCLA, and he rated that a 7. Uh, also had uh, Simeone Vajakite, uh, who came in from um, uh, from Kapolei High School, Hawaii, also committed. Uh, he's rated it a two-star fullback. Uh, by you or excuse me by rivals.com uh, USC obviously thinks a lot more of them they they're really excited about him because uh, this is a kid who comes in he's a physical physical fullback kind of guy that comes in and just can blow people off the line uh, can be that really great lead blocker uh, but also has a lot of athleticism and has some good hands and not necessarily a guy that you know you bring in it's like oh well USC's running the football he, he can do some things um, you know athletically and skilled wise too he had 10 touchdowns last year uh, 600 yards average over 10 yards a carry um, so you know this is a pretty good kid physical specimen 6'1 240 pounds definitely kind of a different fullback uh, than Stanley Avili and I think we talked about this last year, uh, USC kind of looking at fullback, at, at, you know, looking at, at categories uh, fullback, you know, looking at guys that are skilled type running backs that you can develop an old fullback that's kind of a mismatch type guy, and then the guy who's a little more traditional I-formation fullback, and Simi uh, is kind of one of those guys. So he had a great visit. Um, really, I mean, he, t- he told me, he said, you know, I wish I could have graduated early because I, I want to go back now. I'm already uh, <laughs> homes- homesick for USC. So you know, I thought there'd be some culture shock there. Um, is originally from Tonga, and then he came to Maui. And Tonga and Maui, there's not a lot of not people big, there. Not, not <laughs> a lot of big populations. Yeah, that's, yeah and so it, it was a big jump for him going to Oahu. And, uh, and then, you know, coming to, to Los Angeles, that was his first time ever being on the mainland at all. Uh, let alone being in Los Angeles, but being on the mainland. So I thought, you know, he would probably have a little bit of culture shock, but uh, he loved it. He was he was really excited about the visit, and uh, also had Marquis Simmons come in. And uh, Marquis Simmons has been uh, uh, committed to USC for years now, and uh, kind of that family legacy type thing. And this is a guy who gets kind of forgot about a little bit in this class. You know, six one, two fifteen. I think he has the potential to be a real linebacker. I don't really see him being a middle guy. He's fast. He's he's very aggressive. He's a smart kid. He has everything going for him. And it just don't think a lot of people got to see him this year because Dominguez was so bad. This is a team that I think they only won two games the whole year. So this is a guy that is a linebacker that is very talented, that has that bloodline. I think he's going to be able to come in. He's going to be a guy that's going to surprise some people. People are going to like what they see from Marcus Simmons. And last but not least, they had Loney Van Gruppel come in this weekend. He was scheduled to come in next weekend. I should say this weekend, uh, the 23rd, uh, but they bumped him up to the 16th, which was great because uh, Loney is also uh, a Tongan citizen. He was uh, born in Tonga, really raised in Tonga, came to the United States just before high school, and uh, he got to hook up with uh, Simeone, and uh, those two guys were were chatting up all all weekend long in Tongan, and that's probably helped uh, Simi's uh, transition a little bit too, uh, being in Los Angeles and everything, being able to have some guys that were around him that kind of know where he's from and can relate to. Uh, So, uh, you know, Loni Van Gupo, there was some talk of him coming in early in the uh, in the recruiting process, maybe having to sign early. They have a signing period for junior college players in December, and sometimes they can enroll early and be ready for spring ball. That didn't happen for him, so he's probably going to end up enrolling in May. Uh, but uh, this is a guy that a lot of people expect to, to push for that starting rotation. 6'1", 330 pounds, and the kid can run. I mean, I should say the guy can run. He's already been on his uh, mission to the Philippines, so he's mature, too. He's, he's got two years to play and um he's a guy that uh he could play maybe three technique maybe more of a one shape type dude uh but just the pass rusher uh tremendously strong on the run it's it's going to be fun to see uh to see him kind of play and, and see what he can do you know with that rotation with casey and spicer uh that's kind of where you see him uh, fitting in so that was the five guys the big five that came in this weekend for usc now fan Goop, i didn't get to see in person but you you shot some film of him that i that i actually edited and man did he look impressive and uh Flournoy as well. I got to see him in person a little bit. They didn't get to use him all that much. It was in the uh, CIF playoffs, but uh, just a really well-spoken kid. I think he's going to be a great addition 
to this team. So lots of exciting people that came in this past weekend. We'll see more about them and uh, especially heading towards signing day. What about the uh, this coming up? It looks like there's a lot of guys coming in this weekend that'll make some some big time players that'll make the visit to USC. Yeah, uh, you know, with uh, Simeone Vahakiti and uh, Hebron Hepaloni Fangupo coming in uh, this past weekend, it's a mouthful of guys <laughs> to talk about. Well, this weekend it's a mouthful in terms of the quantity of guys. Uh, they've, they've, they've got quite a few players coming in. They've got Patrick Hall, who's a commitment, uh, Vontez Burfecht, who's a commitment, uh, Jake Harfman, who's a kicker, who's a commitment. Um, they've got uh, Randall Carroll, who's still sort of a commitment, and James Boyd, who's a commitment. And then on top of that, they bring in Tyler Gaffney, who's a 6'1", 215-pound uh, fullback from San Diego. Now, we talked about Vahikite with the fullback position. The, the other guy, the other type of fullback that USC is recruiting is Tyler Gaffney. He fits more of the Stanley Havili role. He's a guy who's, a, I mean, I think he ran for 3,000 3, yards or something like that this season, Whoa, 58, <laughs> 56 touchdowns. Ridiculous, ridiculous numbers this year uh, for for Tyler Gaffney in San Diego, and they wanted to uh, win in a CIF state championship um, there at uh, Cathedral Catholic. He's definitely that guy that's a running back that would be molded into more of that fullback hybrid guy, the F slot guy that USC likes to use. That can be that real mismatch in the passing game against a linebacker. Now the question is going to be: Does he go to USC and be fit that role, go, get into that role behind Havili, or does he want to go to Stanford and be the running back? And eh, there's, a, there's a little bit of feel that he wants to go to Stanford, be more of a tailback, a big tailback. So. So that's going to be kind of like a thing that, you know, we're going to see how that goes after his visit, see, you know, how he likes his visit, what kind of impact the coaches make on him with their pitch of, of making him, you know, a fullback, a guy that uh, is kind of that mismatch type guy. Um, another kind of an interesting guy coming out this weekend is supposed to be Jawanza Starling from Tallahassee Lincoln High School in Florida. Um, this is a kid who's a safety, about 6'1", 195 pounds, uh, maybe you know, 200 pounds. Huge hitter, though. This is a big time. This guy lays people out like crazy. Went to the same high school, C.J. Bryant. He takes the same kind of course in terms of his recruitment. He's keeping everything very quiet, not doing a lot of interviews, not a lot talked about with him. But this is a kid that really, his family is really big on um, on academics. Uh, it's, it's, it's tremendous because they came out here, and actually a couple weeks ago they were at Stanford. Where do they want to come back and go out to UCLA, too? So that would be three packed schools that would get an official visit from Jawaza Starling. So you have to think that his parents uh, moving away from home for college is, is not going to be a big issue for him if, if he's looking at all these West Coast schools. Um, so that, that's going to be interesting to see kind of how it goes with him. He's a four-star guy, probably one of the more underrated uh, recruits I think that Rivals has. Uh, he's not a top 100 guy, and, I, and quite frankly, I don't see a lot of safeties that are as good as him right now. Um, he's, he's definitely a big-time player. Question's going to come in to, to play is with Taylor Mays returning, uh, can USC still pull in a guy like that? That's a little bit of the question uh, that we'll have to see, you know, if, if that if that makes an impact on his decision. Uh, they've got uh, Tanae Patrick, who's coming in from uh, Alabama. Definitely one of those guys, when you talk about Alabama recruits coming in, USC has a, has a tough track record trying to get those guys. Alabama's playing good football now. you got Nick Saban there. It's tough to pull those guys around. Uh, but Tony Patrick is a 6'3", 215-pound linebacker, four-star guy, rivals 100 guy, Army All-American. Um, you know, SC's just going to try to pitch the, the, the depth chart and all the guys leaving and uh, maybe try to make him into a Sam linebacker. So we'll see what happens. I, I think that one uh, you definitely, Trojan fans, not going to hold their breath on uh, exactly. Um, but uh, like I said, it's just a huge weekend all, for the most recruits that they've had in on any weekend. And with the guys that are uncommitted, you bring in guys um, you know, like Randall Carroll, uh, who you know a lot of people, a lot of sources that we talk to say he's definitely leaning towards UCLA, that his, that his family kind of wants him at UCLA at this point. Um, and, and we'll see if USC can to kind of change that. Obviously, with the uh, you know, hiring of, of uh, Jeremy Bates, you know, there's going to be some, some, some sales job that, that the USC is going to be able to talk about there, you know, with the offense and, and what he was able to do uh, with the Denver Broncos. And, and I don't know if Jeremy Bates is actually going to be in this weekend to be able to talk to the recruits. Uh, that's something I, I don't know yet. But um, that, that could maybe sway his decision a little bit. But at this point, it kind of seems like he's uh, leaning towards UCLA. And Vontaze Burfick, he just took his uh, official visit to Arizona State last weekend. Did not commit to Arizona State. Um, they're working on him hard, though, and they're working on his family. It'll be interesting to see 
kind of what his mom and, and he think about USC on their official visit this weekend and see if it makes a, you know, a, a real big change in his decision and whether Arizona State's still a viable option. So a lot going on this weekend. Tons. I will be working <laughs> 24-7, you know, just the usual. It's, it's January, so I'm used to it at this point. This is your busy, busy time, busy time. You know, people always ask me, like, oh, is it not as busy now that the football season's over? I'm like, yeah. well, this is the busiest time leading up to signing day, so it should be uh, – but perfect is a complete beast. He'll be that'll be fun to see what happens on his visit. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's what you mentioned a good point with uh, Jeremy Bates, the new quarterback coach. I don't know if you're going to be partial offensive coordinator or what, but he's going to be calling the plays because I know that some of the like a guy like a Randall Carroll talked about the USC offense being a little stale or maybe not developing receivers the kind of way that that he would like a guy like that who had so much success with the Denver Broncos and 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 you got a guy you know budding star like Jay Cutler singing his praises that can only help USC recruiting offensive players I would think yeah and and that's going to be the pitch to him and, and to the other offensive recruits um, the one thing that I think USC, it, it'll be interesting to see how much they use Matt Barkley uh, in these recruiting weekends as well, because you've got him on campus, and he's already kind of working out with the team, and he's already kind of a part of the team. And with these receivers, a pretty important part of their decision should be, uh, yeah, what, who's throwing me the ball? <laughs> you don't got somebody who can throw you the ball. Uh, and life is going to be a little difficult out there as a receiver. So that's the problem about playing that position. Your fate is in other people's hands as a receiver. If you've got a bad offensive line, uh, then your quarterback's getting stacked. He's not getting you the ball. If you have a bad quarterback, well, he's not getting you the ball because he's a bad quarterback. So um, it's not kind of, you know, unless you run a lot of reverses, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's kind of hard to, as a receiver uh, to, to, to make a decision if you're not kind of looking at some other positions on the offense. All right. Well, we got a user question we're going to throw out to you from Sam. He said, He's a big fan of the podcast, and he had a recruiting question. Does USC have a chance with some of the out-of-state linebackers? He mentioned a few guys, Jelani Jenkins, Jarvis Jones, uh, Manti Teo, and uh, Tana Patrick. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. Tane Patrick. Tane Is it T-A-N-A? Yes. Tane Patrick. And, you know, guys like Manti Teo, a lot of the rivals experts, for whatever reason, have been – if you read what they're saying, it sounds like USC doesn't have a chance at many of those guys going Give some comments on that. <laughs> well, I, I think that there's not necessarily a lot of knowledge about guys out here and sources and, and whatnot. It's just kind of a, you know, hey, Manti Tail is uh, is Mormon. He's L- LDS and he's going to go on a mission. So that mis- must mean he's going to BYU. I think that's just a safe play for a lot of those guys and a lot of the picks that they make. Um, yeah, USC definitely has a good chance uh, with a few of those guys. Um, I, you know, Tane Patrick. That's a little bit of a stretch. I unless unless it's just like this complete turnaround of what he's been saying, uh, because a lot of, of of I think his decision is going to depend on playing close to family, and you know, and I don't know that he has a lot of family out here. Are there really any ties out here to Los Angeles? That's going to be kind of a tough guy to get. Jarvis Jones. This is the guy that's kind of the enigma. <laughs> Nobody could really figure him out. He's so laid back and cool with the process and, and relaxed. But it's those kind of guys that USC has been able to get over the past few years. Guys in Georgia, uh, in the Atlanta area specifically, when they're not going to the in-state school and wrapped up for them from day one, it's really open season. There's a lot of schools that are able to get in there, and USC has had some success. Kyle Moore and Bryce Butler, two guys that they've gotten over the past you know few years. And Jarvis kind of fits a little bit of that same uh, paradigm. He's kind of the same guy. I'm not saying that they're going to get him, but I'm saying they definitely have a shot. It'll be interesting to see. He's still got his, I think, his Florida visit um, coming up. Uh, this, either he went to, this past weekend or he's coming up this weekend. I think he actually already took his Florida visit. So it'll be interesting to see how much that impacts his decision. A lot of people, in fact, you talked about the expert board, all those guys say he's going to Florida. And when I kind of asked around, you know, what's the feel? Like, why are you guys all so confident he's going to Florida? There really wasn't a lot of confidence there. It was just mainly, well, he's kind of a Florida fan. He's, you know, he's, he kind of said that Florida is kind of his favorite school. But the truth of the matter is, it, you know, their their guess is as good as anybody's guess at this point with Jarvis Jones. Jarvis is just very slick and just very good, and probably because some of it's genuine. He's just really not sure where he wants to go to school yet. Um, and then, you know, Manti Teo is obviously the big fish out of state um, out there in Hawaii, Puno High School. 
the high school of our of our new president Barack Obama. Um, you know, but uh, Manti definitely a good shot with USC. I would feel at this point in time USC has the lead. I think I put up a percentage up there on USC getting them in the war room. Um, I'm not going to say it because I want people to go in the war room and check it out, but I'll give a little tease. It was better than 50% for Manti Teo and USC. Uh, and he has actually gone on his BYU trip. A lot of people were asking me about that. That was unconfirmed for a while. He did go out to BYU the weekend he was supposed to, and then he actually went straight out to Chicago for the Buckus Award High School um, trophy in, uh, in Chicago. So he was out there for that, and so that was uh, you know kind of a, a little bit of a mix-up. People weren't sure if he actually made his BYU visit. He did, and BYU is probably the other school at this point. And it's been that way for a while. People are going, oh, BYU, USC, it seems like – Early in December, kind of November, people were thinking, ah, kind of BYU, I got a lot more talk. I think coming from the Hawaii Prep Classic All-Star Game in Honolulu, a lot of people were saying, ah, he's going to go to BYU, he's going to go to BYU. And then kind of over the holidays, that seems to have changed a little bit. The consensus seems to be, at least guys I talked to, USC's probably got the better shot. So we'll see how it goes, though. I mean, he's going to be a signing day decision. Jarvis Jones is going to be a signing day decision. Um you know, it, it signing days, it, it, there's a lot of pressure. It's a little different deal than just making a commitment, you know, out of the blue uh, because you feel good about a school. Signing day, it, it, it's, it's all on that day. It's all on that signature, and it's going to be big. So stay tuned. Yeah, we'll have lots of stuff. And Gerard was referring to the USCfootball.com war room. We have that go up just about every Friday. We have all the inside scoop of what's going on down at USC. So if you want to read some cool inside rumors and gossip and stuff like that we got it all in the war room that comes up out on friday mornings um all right gerard so that's cool we got the user questions sam thanks for sending that in we'll have some more user questions later on in the podcast some team stuff um one guy that's really interesting and you know he's one of the highest rated players according to rivals.com devon Kennard. a lot of people just assumed he was going to go to usc uh does it look like there's been some change now it looks like there's some uh, rumblings from other schools now well it was interesting because um uh, a couple weeks ago uh, Devon Kennard was having an in-home visit with USC, and Pete Carroll and Brennan Carroll were there. <laughs> and, um, and Nick Holt was supposed to be there, too. Nick Holt has been uh, uh, the guy that was recruiting uh, Devon Kennard for USC for the last really couple of years um, and was also his position coach and also the defensive coordinator. Well, Pete and Brennan arrived in Phoenix, but Nick Holt was in, uh, headed to Washington <laughs> that week. And that was when uh, he announced that uh, he was going to be the defensive coordinator at the Washington Huskies. And it kind of left USC a little high and dry a little bit. And, you know, uh, Pete Carroll and Brennan Carroll both were in home, and they, they definitely did a good job of, of talking to Devon about it, talking to him about, uh, you know, who they would get as a defensive line coach, uh, just kind of reassuring him that, you know, there was going to be a, a good hire and trying to, to, to make sure they didn't kind of screw anything up with him. But at that point, talking to Devon, he was ready to make a decision. And if I had to bet, I think that decision was USC. Now, with Nick Holt leaving, that changed the whole landscape of this thing a little bit because now he has to kind of get to know this new defensive line coach and the defensive coordinator from, from start. Now, obviously, Rocky Seto has been in the program before, and Rocky Seto is a guy that I'm sure he's somewhat familiar with, uh, but it's not like it was his position coach. It was the guy recruiting him uh, was also the defensive corner like you had with Holt. So there's a little bit of, uh, you know, some, some uh, rapport that needs to be built there with Rocky, and then big time with uh, Jethro Franklin, who was hired as the defensive line coach. And this is a really short amount of time that he's had to really get to know Jethro and talk with Jethro, and that's the big issue for him right now. I think that you know he's got to think about that. He's got to feel comfortable with those guys, and you know the amount of time that he has to feel comfortable with them is, is short and limited. So, you know, you've got ASU, uh, which is kind of out of it at this point. Um, you've got Texas, which is obviously the big kind of out of conference school that's been on them. Um, for the for the majority of time here, and you still got Cal in there. A lot of people like to just dispose of Cal and say, "Oh, Cal doesn't, you know, have a have a shot at them," and they're kind of dismissive. Uh, but but Cal has has been unique in how they've recruited him. They've recruited him as an outside linebacker because they went a three four up there in Berkeley, so they're recruiting him as an outside linebacker. 
And that's kind of an intriguing thing, I think, for Devon. I think Devon is enamored with that idea of maybe playing outside linebacker as opposed to playing defensive end. Now, USC countered with saying, well, you, you can come in and play a little bit of that elephant position, similar to what Kevin Green would be coming in and playing. The elephant position is that hybrid defensive end slash outside linebacker. It's a little different than a, than a standard 3-4 in that the technique is different and you're, you're not, you don't have you know, three down linemen um, that are playing, uh, playing a two-gap defense and four linebackers behind them. It's, it's just a hybrid of that. So, you know, that's, that's kind of, he's like, well, that's kind of interesting too, you know, being able to stand up and put my hand down. It's just going to come down to this in-home visit that they had last night. Jethro Franklin and Rocky Seto both came in uh, after Jeff Tedford came in um, uh, it was a Monday night. This is probably going to be the decision here. He sounds like he does not want to make the decision on signing day. He sounds like he wants to get it done before signing day. But this was definitely a little bit of a, you know, a, 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 well, it was a change-up for him. I don't think he expected this to happen with Holt, and he had to kind of take a step back. And that's what's happening at this point. So there's a lot of rumors out there, you know, obviously. There's rumors that he's dropped USC. There are rumors that he's committed to Cal. Um, you know, we'll see what goes on. I'll, I'll be chatting with him later tonight, and uh, there'll be an update. And we'll, we'll see kind of what uh, his impressions were of Jethro Franklin and Rocky Seto. All right. Well, check back on USAFootball.com for that. For those of you who don't know, Devon Kennard, uh, what, he's a five-star defensive end out of Arizona. What is he ranked in the country now, Gerard? He's like number I think top, he's number eight. He's in the top in the ten. Country yeah. now. He was six, and then I think he's now uh, dropped to eight. He was number two in the country at one time, but uh, that was before he blew out his knee and he had ACL surgery, um, and then they dropped him to six, and I believe right now he's number eight in the country overall, uh, regardless of position. Right, and you could it's ridiculous. I mean, we've both seen him in person, and just he's a complete stud. So there'll be uh, there's a lot of really good guys in this class. Everyone keep checking back on USAFootball.com. But, Gerard, we uh, – well, about 25 minutes, not too bad. Thank you very much for your time, though, and we will talk to you again next week. No problem. Thank you. Yeah, nice. He did a Ricky Henderson job leading off. We'll be right back, though, after this short break. We're going to talk to Dan Weike. It's some more information on the USC team, on coaching changes and all that, so stay tuned. The Peristyle Podcast will be back after this short break. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. We now return to the Parastyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Parastyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, you can always drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. In this segment, we're going to talk some about the team stuff. We talked recruiting with Gerard Martinez last segment. Now we're going to talk about what's going on with this team, all the stuff that's been going on since the end of the Rose Bowl, end of the season. we got Dan Weike from uscfootball.com. Dan, what's up, man? How you doing, Ryan? Good, good. What are you up to, buddy? Uh, nothing, just uh, enjoying this wonderful California afternoon. It's great. You got back from Chicago, and now it's uh, so nice out Thank here. Thank you. I thought you were going to say, like, Grand Rapids or something like that. Yes. You, you missed an opportunity. All your family there in Michigan, I'm sure they're freezing back there, but it's really warm here. It's supposed to start raining <laughs> and stuff pretty soon. Uh, but a lot of stuff we want to talk about. Uh, first things first, I wanted to get to uh, what happened on the coaching change front. Uh, it looks like Carl Smith, who was supposed to be coming to USC and take over the play-calling duties, he's out. What's going on there? Well, um, they've hired a former Denver Bronco quarterbacks coach um, and play-caller, Jeremy Bates, who is a young guy, like 32 years old, um, really, really bright guy. People think very highly of this, of this dude. I mean, he was... Uh, <clears throat> 
he's going to interview for a couple of offensive coordinator positions in the NFL. Very high on the Lions list. Um, the Buccaneers have expressed some interest. Um, you know, I think the Raiders were looking at him. And, you know, instead he chose to come to USC, which is, uh, I mean, says a lot about the university, says a lot about what Pete Carroll does here. I, I think I think it's an upgrade um, over Carl Smith. I wasn't here when Carl um, was, was, you know, working with Liner, and obviously Liner had a great year in that one year. Um, and, you know, Carl Smith has a ton of experience, too, as, as an NFL coordinator. But Carl Smith really wasn't going to get out and recruit. Um, I think Jeremy Bates is a younger guy. I think you probably relate a little bit better with players, and I think I think he's a guy that they can use to maybe close a little bit with some of the guys that are wavering, some guys that are on the fence, you know, offensive offensively. He's a guy you can bring in to say, look, you know, I made Jay Cutler an All Pro, you know, um, I made Brandon Marshall an All Pro. Here's what we can do for you. Yeah, Carl Smith kind of had this um, had a mystique about him, I guess a little bit you could say, because whenever he showed up, the the team seemed to play really well. Uh, afterwards so even after he was you know not on the team after his 2004 season he would show up on campus every once in a while usually after USC was kind of in an offensive lull and he would hang out with Pete Carroll a little bit and for whatever reason that game they'd start putting up a lot of points so it was kind of there was a little bit of mystique there but like you said he was going to be he was going to be a play caller but he wasn't going to be a guy that would be as hands-on as Pete Carroll likes to be. So with Bates coming in, he'll definitely be out there on the recruiting trail. I mean, he's got a lot of energy and Jay Cutler this week said a lot of really nice things about him. I think you posted that up there on the Peristyle, uh, some of the nice things he said, but yeah, I think his kind of youthful energy or something would be good for the staff. Yeah. And I think it's an exciting hire. I mean, and I was actually just talking to a friend of ours, Bruce Feldman a minute ago about this. And, uh, I don't know. The thing I brought up was that I think it's always nice to bring somebody in from the outside every once in a while. I know we talked about this before with, you know, the the original offensive and defensive coordinator searches. Obviously, Pete likes to bring in guys he knows. Well, you know, this offseason, he's brought in two guys from outside the program, um, and that should be a lot of new ideas, a lot of new things that they can kind of bounce off uh, uh, Coach Carroll and, you know, add into the Trojan system. I think that's always a good thing. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I'm I'm happy to see some outside blood there. It just it does get. I mean, for us covering the same people over and over again isn't quite as fun. You'd rather get some new faces and stuff. It is a young <laughs> it is a young guy though, and uh, you know you have a brand new defensive coordinator that doesn't really have a whole lot of experience. He was just been a position coach. Same thing on the offensive side of the ball. Now you have you know a guy like John Morton who hasn't been an offensive coordinator before, but he won't be really calling the plays. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of young inexperienced coaching talent there and they could be really good, but you know, they don't have as many battles in the trenches and stuff as a guy like Carl Smith. So it's a little strange that you have both coordinators being so kind of wet behind the ears that you're going into the season where, you know, you have another chance for a championship run. Yeah. The more, the more I thought about this, the the hiring Rocky is the defensive coordinator, Rocky Sato, um, isn't, he's not as inexperienced. I mean, as we think, I mean, he's coached, you know, he's coached linebackers, he's coached secondary, he played, he's worked in video operations. I mean, he's done essentially everything already on this church and staff except, you know, take snaps at quarterback. And, and I mean, he's really, you know, he, he probably knows Pete Carroll's defense better than anybody else on the staff, um, you know, probably better than anybody Pete could have brought in. And really, you know, obviously with, with Coach Carroll Palmer the defensive plays, probably, it's, it, I don't see that being a big issue. No, it it it's a good point there that who is the real de facto defensive coordinator? It's really Pete Carroll, you know, and it, you know who's going to make the calls. I'm sure Pete Carroll has veto power over just about anything. And then the interesting aspect here is who's the real offensive coordinator? Morton's been named the offensive coordinator, and now two different quarterback coaches have been given the, the play calling duties ahead of him. I mean, I, I'm one, I'm not. I don't know if you've talked to anybody about how that's going to work, but it's isn't it kind of interesting. One guy's the offensive coordinator, but another guy calls the plays. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of strange. I you know it really what it does is it takes a little little more off the plate of the uh, of the guy who's calling the plays. You don't have to worry about organizing the meetings. You don't have to worry about all of that kind of administrative administrative stuff that you know a guy like Jeremy Bates who um, hasn't been coaching in college for quite some time might be new to him. That that would be maybe the type of stuff that could trip him up. I think that's really where John Morton kind of steps into sort of like you know, an, an MVC of, of uh, sorts, a most valuable coach, because he'll, he'll take on that responsibility. He's been around it. He knows what they want to do in those administrative capabilities, and, and he knows those responsibilities, and he'll, he'll take care of those. An MVC, huh? <laughs> Where did that come from? Sure. <laughs> I don't know. 
the most valuable Missouri coach. Valley. Missouri Valley Conference. Yeah. Also an MVC. And the most valuable coach. Uh, all right. So that's cool. And then, uh, obviously, another thing, uh, the big news that happened on the team was USC lost their quarterback. And uh, Mark Sanchez going to the NFL. Mm-hmm. You, heard, you heard of him? There was a, we talked about him no. a little bit. Uh, that, that happened like the day after we did the podcast last week. So it's a little bit old news. We can just kind of touch on it. And we'll, we'll probably talk to Coach Harvey Hyde in the next segment a little bit about it as well. Uh, what were your overall thoughts on that whole thing and how it went down? I want to bring something up here about um, the the last podcast, if we could quickly. Um, okay. You asked me at the end of the last podcast if the coaching things were done, and I said I I can't imagine they did anymore. And sure enough, they hired a new coach. Right. Don't 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 do that to me anymore. And <laughs> you feel stupid. Uh, come on. No, I mean honestly, like like okay, there. Just don't ask me if they're gonna if the coaching thing is finally done because. Who knows? Something nuts could happen. Anything else could happen? Yes. All right. Yeah. I would doubt it again. That's why I'm not going to say, oh, there's no way. But I would doubt Rocky it. Rocky Seto becomes the head coach uh, for, <laughs> who knows? All right. For the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Of the, Tor- the yeah. Toronto Argonauts <laughs> of the CFL or something like that? Yeah. Um, no, Sanchez. Um, yeah. I mean, I think really what it came down to for him was it, it was it was a two-pronged decision. He could either return to school and maybe become a better NFL prospect um, in terms of longevity of his career and stuff like that. Maybe maybe enter the league and, and be a little more prone to having early success. Or he could come out early when the time was right. I mean, really, I know there have been a lot of people who have been kind of down on his decision, but the timing of it, when you look at the other quarterbacks coming out, really there wasn't going to be a better time for him to come out than this year, um, realistically speaking. And, and, you know, so if he wants to be a higher draft pick, get paid more, and and do those kinds of things, and then you know, and kind of start that aspect of his life, which is the impression that I got from the the press conference was that he just kind of he was ready to start that part of you know his journey, I guess. Then then yeah, it made sense. I mean, the unfortunate thing about it was that you know Sanchez going pro really wasn't even the story of that day. It was more how Piquet reacted to it, coming right out and saying you know I just I. I don't agree with this decision. The odds are stacked against him. You know, there's a 60-some-odd percent chance that underclassmen quarterbacks fail, all of these things. I mean, laying out essentially everything that he probably told Sanchez in the process, laying all of that stuff out there, you know, with Mark sitting next to him. It was kind of awkward, I thought. Yeah, that was definitely a little bit awkward, and he kind of got a, a bad rap from the media and stuff. And uh, it, to me, what it looked like, I mean, I was standing almost right in front of him or sitting right in front of him when he said that stuff. He he wasn't happy, and I think, I think some of it was shocking. You know, he doesn't like to lose. If he's you know shooting hoops at at lunch, uh, you know, on the football field, whatever, he's a competitor. He likes winning. I think he thought he had Sanchez signed, sealed, and delivered. He was going to come back, and I think I don't know if he got complacent or what, but I think he really felt that Sanchez was coming back. And the the intel that we got, we talked to some of the players. It seems like he told Sanchez told some of his offensive players, a prominent receiver, a prominent tailback we talked to that he was coming back as as soon as like a couple days before this all went down on that Thursday. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm sure that was going around the locker room and then, you know, to get so almost, you know, Sanchez must have changed his mind later on or told different people different stuff. I don't know. But it seemed like I, it just for me from reading Pete Carroll, it seemed like he thought he had it won and lost it and there wasn't much he could do. And, he, you know, I don't think he was too happy about it. No, he wasn't happy. I mean, I mean, you know, it, it, you know, he apologized later on reportedly and stuff like that. I'm sure he did, and I don't think he meant it maliciously. I think his emotions just got the best of him. It was, it was a very uncaral reaction to stuff. A guy who's been so laid back and so cool, uh, you know, in so many different circumstances and stuff like that. I mean, that it, it was very uncaral like the way he kind of responded to that. But I mean, you know, like you said, I mean, he's a competitor, and and he does just he does you know have a, a large amount of disdain for losing. So, I mean, I could, I could understand why he'd react like that. Personally, I mean, I think I, I don't think you can argue with a lot of what he said, but for me the issue was the timing of it and the way the, the way it kind of came across and the way it was presented. Um, that being said, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if he regrets it. Uh, he probably doesn't, knowing Pete, um, a little bit. Like, I wouldn't think he would regret what he did. Uh, I'm not sure that he should or not. I don't know. I think it's interesting, um, just the kind of the message that it could possibly send to other players and stuff like that about leaving early. I mean, it, it's really, 
I mean, they've, they've had such a remarkable track record in keeping guys in school and stuff like that and keeping guys here for, you know, four or five years if they want them. And I think that was part of it, too, was maybe shock or, or, or something like that. I don't know. Like I said, very uncarol-like, I thought. It was weird. And then there was a lot of talk and people talking on the message boards about that he didn't have a podium and stuff. I mean, it's the same setup that you have for every press conference in that room. I mean, basically, you're sitting at that chair. There's a microphone. And it's, it's, there's a cord that runs back to a box in the back of the room, so you don't have to have like 50 microphones up there. And then everyone else plugs into that box in the back. It's like an audio mixer box or whatever the heck. You know, I don't know what they call it. And uh, so it wasn't, that's it wasn't. A very te- that's a very technical term. Yeah, audio mixer box. Yeah, and it wasn't any different from that setup. But when he made a statement, and I, I I believe that's how it went down. He stood. I think I'm just trying to recall this correctly. He stood up, and Tim Tesla, the sports information director, comes over and is like trying to get him to sit down to answer a few questions. And he just kind of, you know, because all the cameras are basically pointed at you kind of sitting. Well, when he goes to answer the questions, he's now standing up with his kind of leaning over with his hands on the desk. And Tim Tesselon, like, asked him a couple times to sit down, sit down. And he would, I mean, he was mad. Like, there was not, I mean, he wasn't listening to Tim. He, he was just, I'm, I'm going to answer this. Down. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sitting down. Here. Yeah. And yeah. it, it's funny that he talked about a podium. Like, there's never really a podium there. I don't know. Maybe we wanted to sit down or whatever. It was, and it was different. And then he left, obviously, before, you know, Mark Sanchez came up next to, to answer questions and stuff. And I, I think he does have Mark's best interests in mind. And, uh, you know, I, I think he thinks he's doing, because, you know, they came back and said it'd be a second round pick. But I, I think in this circumstance, it's going to be, it's going to work out for Mark because, he will be at worst the second quarterback taken, and it maybe it does slip to the second round, but I don't think so. I think that someone will take a I chance don't, I don't on think him. He will. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I think you're still a first round quarterback. Um, I and, and it's interesting, you know. You said he's got Mark's best interest in mind too, but you know he also has the team's best interest in mind. Obviously, this team would have been a lot more highly regarded had Mark returned. Now, do I think that there's going to be a huge drop off? I mean, there may be some, but. They've been through this before so many times with so many you yeah. know, new quarterbacks and questions and stuff like that. It, I mean, it's not, this isn't Washington State we're talking about. These aren't guys that they brought out to the to the practice field, you know, pulled them out of frat houses or anything like that and said, oh, hey, can you throw a football, Aaron Corp? You know, right. I mean, these are highly, <laughs> highly regarded quarterbacks. Yeah, no, you know it's I mean? true. And it, it, it happens a lot. And I think people do that every year. How are you going to replace blah, blah, blah. How are you going to replace blah, blah, blah. And, you know, every year they do. And, you know, is it going to be the same? Has anyone been like Reggie Bush? No, but they've had effective running games and they've had effective guys that can catch balls out of the backfield and stuff. I mean, you've, you've been able to replace guys, maybe not as good, but, you know, in the overall, I think the system and the schemes that they use, uh, you know, and the talent that you have, it's just a, it, it just works, you know, and if you happen to lose a whole bunch of guys, like you lose all your linebackers, they have enough talent and they have a, a good scheme where they'll put guys in and they'll still perform. Yeah, I mean, were you more surprised by the by Taylor's decision than Mark's? I was. I, mean, I was. I was definitely more surprised with uh, with Mays coming back. And it's you know, it's you look at the secondary now. People are saying, "Oh, there's only one starter back." No, the whole secondary is coming back basically. And that, I mean, it's going to be. It was already an amazing secondary. It's going to be really good. And you got guys like T.J. Bryant with another year under their belt. You know, Sharice Wright will be back. Uh, you know, people thought he was the best cover corner. Yeah, they lose Kerry Harris, but you got you know you still have Kevin Thomas over there. You know, Will Harris got a lot of playing time, um, so you got him coming back. A lot of starting experience back in that secondary. Josh and Pinkert, Josh Pinkert, Pinkert will I be mean, back. Yeah, I mean, but, yeah, they don't lose much there. I mean, I mean, the more I, the more I think about it, the 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 more that I talk myself into think, believing that their defense is going to be just fine next year. I, I mean, when you look at stuff, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of pieces um, off of this defense missing. And will they be the best defense in the country and the most dominant? Maybe not. But maybe they'll ball hawk a little more. Maybe they'll maybe they'll force some more turnovers. Maybe, you know, with a more experienced, with, with a, such an experienced secondary and, and a group that they're going to lean on, maybe that's what they look to. Maybe this is, maybe that's the kind of defense it's going to be. And you talked about Gosh. this a little bit in your uh, your um, winter workout piece, which will be our last subject. But, you know, Chris Gallipo staying healthy, I think, is going to be really important because – He's a guy that is a ball hawk, and he will make plays, and he's not going to make the kind of mistakes that a Ray Malaluga would make at times. And you know, you just watch him, and he see him running into the line sometimes, and the, the running back going the other way, and you're wondering, well, where is he going on that play? But I mean, he'll, he'll he's a missile out there, and he can make a lot of big plays, but he was out of position sometimes too. And a guy like Gallipo won't be, so it'll be a different kind of look at middle linebacker and some of the other spots. 
But you know, you might even see a guy like Galipo perform better and, and make some more turnovers and, and, and be a little bit more of a ball hawk, like he said. Yeah, another guy I think that can make some plays is Michael Morgan. Is, is another sure. guy that I'm kind of high on right now. Um, just because I really like his frame. I mean, I, he's got such long arms, and, and he's so wiry, and he's quick, and, and he, he he was – I mean, do you remember the game? He, the, I think he started against Oregon, and, and the way that he um, – he was always around the ball in that oh, first yeah. half before he got hurt. I mean, like, he wasn't finishing off a lot of tackles by himself. I mean, but he was slowing guys down, making sure other guys got over there, and, and I mean, was in on a bunch of tackles. I think he only had, like, one solo tackle, but he had, like, he assisted some, like, seven or eight tackles in the first half. He was, he was everywhere. Yeah, and it's the same thing. you got to keep him healthy and stuff. And uh, But we'll see. There'll be lots of stuff to talk about spring football. We're going to see these guys in action. Real quick, we're almost out of time, but I just wanted to get your update on uh, – when a workout started this week, give a little update there. Um, you know, I was out there bright and early on uh, Tuesday for the first workout of the year, and uh, none other than uh, Matt Barkley in attendance uh, with the other quarterbacks, Mitch Mustaine and Aaron Corp. Working with DeWine, um, Butch Lewis was not out there um, recovering from his surgery. And uh, I don't know, it was a, uh, I mean, it was a good workout. I mean, they got right to work. Um, I, I, I'll say this, uh, you'll hear me say this again throughout workouts. My favorite guy to watch in workouts is Ronald Johnson. Just because his feet are so fast, yeah. just watch him do those footwork drills. It's it's <laughs> ridiculous. It's like, it's like you remember those the, like the cartoons where it's like, you know, like the guy's feet will be moving, but like the top of his body's like 100 percent still. <laughs> That's what it looks like. Only he's like moving. Actually, it's it's pretty remarkable. I mean, he's so quick. I don't know. He's a guy who I think could make a really big jump next year. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, we also have uh, Kenichi Udeze, the former USC defensive end. Uh, who's uh, was battling cancer and looks like he's doing really well out there. He was out there working well with the team a little bit too, huh? Yeah, he was doing more stuff on his own, uh, but he was out there taking taking everything in. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's always good to have those guys around, um, especially a guy like that who's just working so hard with the team. I mean, that's, that, that's, I mean, you look at him and you look at what the team's doing and you can say, you know, this is what you can get to. This is the work ethic we want. This is the, the virtues that we kind of instill here. And it's such a great example. One last thing about winter workouts too. Can sure. I throw some quick? Yeah. Taylor Mays has been, uh, at least in the first workout, people have wondered a lot who would, who would be kind of this would step up and be the leader. Taylor Mays has been, has been doing, or at least, at least at the first workout, did a remarkable job making sure everybody very vocal, big smile on his face, pushing guys and stuff like that. I talked to a couple of players and, and I asked him, you know, who, who, who are the guys that are kind of stepping up and, and showing the way? everybody else and without a, a, a second of hesitation everybody else looked just said taylor mays all right well we'll be watching him we'll get more updates for winter workouts as we head towards spring ball dan wacky thanks again for joining us and we'll talk to you next week thanks for having me Ryan. all right everybody else we'll be back a really short break we're gonna have harvey hyde who's hitting in the albert pulholt spot number three we'll talk to him last right after this short break you are listening to the peristyle podcast from los angeles california USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. It's our third and final segment, and it's hitting in this Albert Pujols spot. We have the coach, Harvey Hyde, normally our leadoff man, but he was traveling from Vegas, so we're, we're having to come in on the end of the show this week. How are you doing today, Coach? You know what? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, things seem to be... Uh... Roll along uh, for the Trojans as far as recruiting. We've got a lot of coaching changes going on. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think we've got a lot to talk about, especially with the National Letter of Intent not too far away and all the changes that have been going on, the effect that that might be uh, or take uh, as far as part of the Trojans and recruiting and next year's lack of Mark Sanchez, what's going to happen there and so on. But, uh, you know, before we get started, Let's thank the guy that makes it happen. That's Southern California Ticket Service. Definitely. Southern California Tickets, they're our sponsor for the Harvey Hyde segment of the Peristyle Podcast, sctickets.com. Give them a call, 
888-7287 if you need tickets for concerts, the theater, sporting events, all that stuff. Southern California tickets, Southern California tickets is your way to go. And I know, Coach, you like to use them. Anyone else out there, if you need tickets, give them a call. You're exactly right. Buckle up, man. Give them a call. Tape your ankles. But you're on your way to the event you want to go to. For sure, Coach. And uh, you mentioned a lot of the, the topics we wanted to, to kind of get into today. I guess maybe the first thing is uh, the Mark Sanchez stuff. That happened almost a week ago. I got to talk with Dan Weike a little bit about it in the last segment. You know, being a former coach yourself, it, it seemed like the the biggest news out of this wasn't that Mark was leaving. It's just the reaction that Pete Carroll gave during the press conference. What did you think about that whole thing? Well, you know, it's easy for everybody to sit back and evaluate what they would have done a day later. Or that's like saying, hey, you know, I wouldn't have called that play. I would have called another play because you had more time to think about it and you wrote the column the next day and the play didn't work, so now you have a lot of time to think about why it didn't work. Uh, Coach Carroll was emotional. Coach Carroll, I know, was very upset because he's losing Mark Sanchez, and and uh, it meant a lot to him. I, I know he's very close to Mark Sanchez, and he meant a lot to the USC Trojan football team because he was not only a quarterback, but he's a leader. He would have been a Heisman Trophy candidate. Uh, he had his probably best game of the year and the final game of the year and that momentum he wanted to carry over with the offense with 10 starters coming back if he would have come back as far as being the strength of next year's team while the defense reloaded and to have that happen especially after Taylor Mays the one that everyone thought that was coming out had a press conference and said no I'm coming back I think was a shock to Coach Carroll, and I think it was a very emotional moment of disappointment for him. And I think that he expressed that, and I think he certainly has a right to express that. He's coached this kid. He's recruited this kid. He's had this kid around. He's taken care of his injuries or whatever he's needed to do. He's very close to the family. And whenever you lose a family member, you don't. if you're not upset, then you really didn't love that person. And he sincerely loves Mark Sanchez. As, a, as he mentioned, uh, if this was my son, this is the advice I would be giving him. So, you know, can people deal with that? Yeah, they, well, if they can't deal with it, that's tough. I think a coach has a right to, to, to at that moment of when, you know, like there's almost like been a death in your family, to, 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 to express his feelings. Now, it's easy for people to come back the next day and write a column or, for people that do talk radio, hey, Coach Carroll, I've ne- we've never seen him like that. Coach Carroll, what would he say about that? And uh, why did he have to act like that? Because he was deeply hurt. And, and yes, he has come back and said, well, didn't mean it quite that way. And, and I was uh, upset. Well, sure, well, he has a right to be upset. He didn't expect this to happen. And he wanted the kid, and he sincerely believes that the kid needs another year. And, in in college and and it's really upsetting him. So I, I feel that you know I you know a lot of people you know remember when you spend so much time with this these kids they're like family members and you treat them like a family person. And he sincerely felt that the kid did the kid went out and he shouldn't have gone out. And so I feel he has a right to tell us what his thoughts are, but he took a lot of heat on that. And uh, uh, I don't think the media should have done that because they have a lot of time to think about it and write, write about it then later. So, uh, you know, it's like you got 20 seconds to call a player, 25 seconds to call a play. You know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes you come back at a press conference, I wish I hadn't called that play. But you didn't have a lot of time to think about it. No. He was dealing with emotion when he said that. So, you know, they'll be friends. They'll always be friends. Uh, Mark will always be a Trojan. His family was very close to Pete Carroll and the Trojan football family. So it was a disappointing day, I don't think, for Pete Carroll. I think it was for Trojan football to lose someone that was such a leader, a captain, someone that meant so much to USC football. Coach, I agree with you. And I I think part of that emotion, I mean, it might have been added to the fact that 
Pete Carroll definitely, I mean, the possibility was there that he got some other bad news on that day. And that's kind of our next topic. Um, Carl Smith, who was hired as the quarterback coach, was supposed to call the plays. Uh, looks like he's going, I don't, I don't know if they've signed for real yet, but it, look, you know, it looked like he was going to the Browns at the time when this press conference came out. And uh, so I, I think Pete Carroll might have actually heard that he was losing his quarterback coach and had to look for somebody else. But, you know, even, no matter when or he heard about it, he turned around real quickly and got somebody uh, really well thought out of uh, Coach Bates out of uh, out of the Denver Broncos organization. Well, you know, yeah, and and I think he that is emotional uh, buildup uh, as far as what happened in two days, losing Mark Sanchez, and then here's a coach, and and you know, I don't know Carl Smith. I'm going to be honest with you, but here's someone who was out of a job. Here's someone who hung around USC for a period of three or four weeks, waiting to be hired. Uh, and Coach Carroll continued with his loyalty in, in bringing Coach Carl Smith back. I guarantee you he'll never be back at SC again, coaching, offering a job, offered a job. And was, he's left there twice now. And 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 he hires him and, and, and names him as the play caller and wants to move on with recruiting and so on. And, and then Carl Smith gets an offer from Cleveland and and more or less says, I'm leaving you. Well, you know, if you don't want to be here, that's fine. Then we don't want you here. But, you know, to need a job, want a job, be hired, and then be here so short of a period of time, to me, shows no loyalty. Sure, you always want to better yourself. But if you want to stay in pro football, why did you come back and get back into college? If you want to stay in pro football, wait and get all these pro jobs. They're gonna, they had 10 jobs open. So stay and, and network and work on the NFL side of it. Don't come back and work at SC and mislead a coach or mislead kids. Uh, this is my feeling. You know, if Coach Smith hears me say this, that's tough. <laughs> and And I mean – it disrupts your routine and your continuity and your recruiting process, and it upsets kids because it gets kids are upset because they lose a player, they lose their uh, offensive coordinator and Steve Sarkeesian, then they hire a coach, then he leaves. It, it's it's this period of of what's next that you don't want in the football program. Well, coach, I but mean, you know, oh. but you know, I I want to say this. But you know what? Always things work out for the best. And I think it has in this situation with the hiring of Jemory uh, Bates. I, I really I believe this, and we'll talk about that. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, no, no, not at all. But have you had a situation where, I mean, it's a very crucial time right now when you're talking about the weeks before signing day. And even though Carl Smith wasn't going to be a big recruiter, it still could be a blow, and it's, it's you know, it changes things on the offensive side of the ball. Have you had that happen a lot? Coaching changes when you were a coach during this critical period leading up to signing day? Yes. I, I, I'll tell you, whenever you have a winning program and you have great coaches surrounding you, there is always someone there who wants to know why you win and they want to have that in their program. Just like Sarkeesian took hold and two or three other people from the NC program, the Washington to, to help, bring that type of winning attitude to the Huskies. Well, yes, I've lost coaches, and, and I tell you, it's a very difficult thing to do to replace coaches because as a coach, you have already coached your coaches to what you want taught to players as far as on the, on the field, as far as X and O's and techniques, the routines of practice, the routines of meetings, what you expect when at a certain time, and recruiting. What is our recruiting policies? How do we recruit? I give you an area to recruit. Uh, then we follow up and what we look for and, I, and how we evaluate. Now you lose these coaches. Now you've got to come back and you've got to coach the coaches before the coaches can coach the kids. So you're uh, then now in a process when you go to practice, you're watching out a little bit more on the coaches to make sure they're teaching what you want taught. And when you have a lot of changes, it's not good. And and it, it breaks up the consistency of success 
And the number one thing that has hurt most programs out there, like New England, the Patriots, every single year, Belichick is losing his offensive coordinator or his defensive coordinator or somebody to another NFL team or a college team, like Charlie Wise, to Notre Dame. So it, it, it is a difficult thing to do, but people do want people from winning traditions and winning, winning staffs to, to be a part of theirs. But in Carl Smith's situation, I mean, here's a guy that came around, hung around USC, wanted the job, got the job, and then went back to the NFL. And this is what I'm saying is, if he wanted to stay in the NFL, he should have stayed away from USC. Let Coach know what that that you know that I'm looking for an NFL job, and and wait until those jobs open and stay there. Network, get a job, and uh, because it caused just another moment of of like you say un- uneasiness with the staff and with the players and so on by. Sanchez leaving, and then Sarkeesian leaving, and then Holt leaving, and then Carl Smith coming in, and then Carl Smith leaving. So yeah, I would say Coach Carroll had a reason to be upset. Yeah, and uh, and you know, but looking ahead, uh, Coach Bates looks like to be a really good coach. Jay Cutler, the quarterback for the Broncos, said a lot of good things about him. I guess the only concern—I get your thoughts on this—but your only concern I would have, Coach, is going from the NFL to college. You have about 20 hours a week in college to coach these kids. So, you know, your playbook or whatever your schemes work in, in the NFL, are you trying to – are you coaching guys like eight hours a day? Because you can't do that in college. So that would be the biggest adjustment, I would think, is there's limited coaching time he's going to get with the players he's going to be, recru- be uh, recruiting and coaching at the college level as opposed to what he did in the NFL. Well, yeah, that's true. But, but let me tell you, um, in college – uh, you study and the, and kids watch videos on their own and 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 you, there's just as much effort put in college coaching as 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 in the NFL. I mean, you know, some of these guys, you know, think that the longer they stay in the office and they sleep in their office and all of that, how much smarter they're going to be and they're going to outwork everybody. All they're doing is is that it shows me that there's a lack of experience because they can't figure it out. Uh, you know, uh, I think that that's overdoing. I think there's a certain number of hours where you're productive and you're sharp and you can get it done, and there's a certain number of period of time when you're not productive and you should be away from the football office, as players should be away from the weight room and the football field to rejuvenate and charge your battery to come back with positiveness and be ready to go with fresh legs and fresh brains. So uh, I think Jeremy Bates is a... A uh, great check, a uh, find. Uh, I've checked with a lot of my friends in the NFL who know him personally, but I did not know him. I knew his dad, Jim Bates, and uh, he's got him. He's got enthusiasm. He's got youth. Uh, he's a hard worker. He knows the game. I think it's going to be a real positive mood move for USC. I really believe Pete Carroll here has got someone that uh, will be really good for him. All right. Well, yeah, I'm sure Chargers fans will be looking forward to seeing that. We'll be covering. We'll talk to Coach Bates this spring. We'll try to get him in the offseason leading up to spring football. But you can check out uscfootball.com for more of that. And, uh, Coach, and we're almost out of time, unfortunately. We're in the uh, last segment. But I, there were some questions that came in and a couple comments I wanted to kind of share with you, if that's all right. Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, Matt wrote in, and he first his thing, he, he says he really likes you, Coach Hyde. Uh, but he wanted to know if I just say hello and then leave the room for 20 minutes. <laughs> so not, not quite, but, uh, you know, Coach Hyde can give, uh, you know, some, some long answers sometimes. But it's good. I mean, you always share uh, such good insights and stuff. But Matt was really fond of, uh, of what you do on the podcast. Well, tell Matt, thank you very much. And just keep listening. And uh, if you do have any special questions that you'd like answered, we'll do our very best at answering them. And then uh, he also had a, a comment about Taylor Mays, and, and, and uh, Terry and Day would also had a question about Taylor Mays. So I'll kind of combine those two things together. So Terry and asked, um, he wanted to know if it would be beneficial to use Taylor Mays in the same way that the Steelers use Troy Polamalu, kind of all over the field, blitzing, run support uh, for pass, you know, pass defense and all that stuff because he's so big. And, uh, you know, he's got great speed and toughness. And he's got the, obviously, Mays has the skills. And, and Matt was commenting that we made some comments last week. I did with uh, Dan Wojcicki about 
having Mays line up and play like the wildcat at quarterback and run the spread offense for a little bit. Mays even made a comment in the papers about that too, to try and get him some Heisman votes and stuff. But just kind of, uh, you know, Mays coming back is probably the biggest surprise, but just kind of get your thoughts on that a little bit, Coach. Yeah, we will. In fact, I made a comment. I said, if you want to make some changes, remember remember I said uh, have him play barefooted a couple of ways. Yeah. <laughs> but to demonstrate his toughness, but you know, you know, I, yeah, I agree. I think that he has a uh, he's he's got the physical frame and the ability to be one of the greatest uh, uh, with his ability. But I think he needs to become more part of the game and into the game more. Uh, I believe that you know uh, he has the ability to be a Ronnie Lott or or somebody of that ability. Yet he hasn't had the chance yet playing safety to really. To, to utilize his great skills. And I think he needs to be in a position where he can uh, tackle more. Uh, I noticed that when he makes his great hits, rather than wrapping up, and uh, you guys may agree or may not agree, he's blocking you down in most situations. He's running full speed and blocking you down. I think in the NFL and at the next level, uh, you will miss those tackles because great running backs uh, will avoid that type of hit in most cases so i think he does need to get into the game he does need the experience of of uh of stopping the run and 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 getting involved in the game i'd love to see him uh you know like i mentioned last week uh, you know he needs to show the courage of the of the body he's got to show that it is a man of steel that is wearing this uniform was he you know if you wanted to paint or or draw a, a a a super person in a uniform. It's Taylor Mays. Now he needs to take this and and perform to that ability uh, in the game. Not that he hasn't, but in more fashion, more ways. And that's why I said, you know, a weak side linebacker would demonstrate not only that he can run and hit and blitz and so on, but he could tackle and be involved in more plays. And I'm not saying he's going to do that or Coach Carroll's going to play him there. Or, an, or a spy type of guy, or an elephant sit, or Ellison type of situation in the box on first down or against running teams, and then he will prove himself as far as the toughness part. Like Troy Palomala, let me tell you: Is there any doubt about his toughness? Is no. there any doubt <laughs> about any part of his game? There isn't. Yet we haven't seen that part yet of Taylor Mays with his physical stature as far as yet in college football. I haven't, I've seen him. I know he's a great player, but I want to see him be a Palomala in college football. Would you agree with me? I do. And I, I, I think Charger fans are going to see that. He's been very vocal. We talked to Dan Weike in the last segment. So I think you're going to see a lot more of Taylor Mays. He really has a chance to be the leader of this defense. And so many guys gone, he's going to be the superstar. And I think you're going to see him step into that role really well. I want to see him do that too. I want to see him, uh, blocking people, hitting people, leading the defense, always around the football. Just like if you remember last uh, Sunday that, uh, when you saw even Paula Mala stopping a quarterback sneak. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely tremendous. So you got to see Taylor Mays being that same type of figure with the defense at USC. All right, we will, hopefully we'll see that. Well, Coach, unfortunately we're out of time, but thanks, uh, thanks again for coming in and sharing all your thoughts and the, the, the three spot this week, but you'll be back to lead off next week. I'm sure. Well, you put me anywhere you want to <laughs> just so I'm in the lineup. Okay. Excellent. And uh, thanks again to Southern California tickets, sctickets.com. Everybody else, we will talk to you next week. It'll be episode number 50. So half a hundred. So everyone have a good week and we'll talk to you then. You've been listening to the Peristyle podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can now download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player. Just search for Peristyle Podcast the next time you log into iTunes.